Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God be and abide with you this day and every day. Amen. When I was growing up, my grandpa lived about 20, 25 minutes from us. He retired when I was fairly young, and he liked to fish. There was a creek not far from his house in a park called Sharon Woods. It was a county park. And so sometimes I would be at his house and we would walk over into the park along the path at the end of the dead end road where they lived through the woods to where we could get to the creek. And there were some places along where the creek was where the water would kind of gather, you know, in that swimming hole kind of place. And you could fish there. Well, where I lived, there were a couple of ponds on our property. And so sometimes my grandpa would come over and we would go down to the pond and fish. I basically learned to fish from my grandpa. How to tie the hook or the lure onto the line to make sure it was secure. How to bait the hook. What kind of bait worked. Crickets work really well. And if you go walking through the orchard grass in the morning, when it's still damp, crickets can't get too far. So you can catch some crickets. Put them on your hook and you can catch some fish. Mostly what I remember, though, about fishing when I was a young kid growing up, maybe, you know, 8, 10, 12 years old, was that it was boring. I drowned a lot of worms. And I caught a lot of moss, <laughs> weeds, and other stuff. I'd throw the line out there, and I would sit and watch that bobber. And my mind would start going, you know, about other things that were going on or other things I needed to do or other things I'd rather be doing than fishing. Now, I caught enough fish to say that I have fished successfully. We brought in a lot of bluegill. I learned how to skin them and eat them. We caught catfish in the creek one time, and we ate those too. Have you fished? Was it boring? Now, mostly, if you're fishing with a rod and a reel, you're catching one fish at a time, right? One fish at a time. Over and over. Putting them on the stringer, maybe, and waiting until you have enough for the day. But commercial fishermen work a bit differently. And you know they work a bit differently because they have boats and sometimes they're large boats that they take out on the ocean or wherever they fish. Paula's sister's husband is a commercial fisherman and he fishes very differently from how I learned to do it. He's got a boat and what he catches quite often in the, especially in the winter months is crab. So they have all these pots which look like big round cages and they stack those on the back of the boat and they find the place where they want to toss them into the water and then there's floats on them. And I got to go out on his crab boat. They had a one-day outing to go collect all the crabs from the pots. And I got to go out on the, on the boat and stay out of the way. Because <laughs> they were collecting those pots and he was driving the boat right along the side of those floats so that the guy on the, leaning over the side could hook it and pull it up and then they could get that 
line on the, on the pulley thing, and it would pull it up from the bottom, and then they would have this crab pot, and it would, some of them, just crawling with crabs, most of which went right back into the water. The little ones that you can't take, and depending on the, the gender of them, etc., and they had to be able to identify them, and they had this little ruler that they could use to measure them, but those guys didn't use it because they'd done it enough. They knew what they were doing. With experience, you get this just sense, right, of how fishing works and how to do it. And if you've never done it before, you pretty much ought to just stay out of the way. At the end of the day, it's time to go home. That's not just true for fishing crews on boats out on the water. It's true for all of us in our work. It's time to go home. It's, you know, the day is done. You clean up your area, your desk, your workbench, your classroom. You put things away, the tools, the books. You shut down the computer. The day is done. It's time to wind down. It's time to kick back. Our work is done for today. It's time to move on. But we need to mind our business. (laughs) Mind your business It's something that little kids say say to each other sometimes, mind your own business. But in this case, the disciples are there minding their business. Luke chapter 5 describes this scene where Jesus saw two boats by the lake. This is verse 2. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. It's the end of the day. The, The nets have been used, and now it's time to clean them and prepare them for the next outing. It's how it works. You want to be able to find the tools that you have, so you put them away when you're done using them. And you want them to be you know, long-lasting, so cleaning them is important. The fishermen were at work. And maybe they saw and heard Jesus a little bit when he came along and took over Simon's boat. Or maybe they'd heard of him or even heard him before. Luke doesn't really describe why they let some guy just hop in one of their boats and use it. I mean, I think if I'm a fisherman there by the lake, I might not be so enthusiastic about some guy just stepping into the boat because he needs a platform from which to preach. So maybe they saw and heard Jesus a little bit during that time, but the, ta- the attention was on the task at hand. Are you, are you a multitasker? Are you a focused kind of person? Or somewhere in the middle, right? There are some people who are really good at multitasking. They can do three, four, five things at once. Other people, when you're in that box, you're in that box. And nothing gets you out of that. So if they're washing their nets and maybe listening to Jesus just a little bit, they could hear, they could start to understand. But we want to get the job done. Because much of our time and energy are devoted to our work. It's important. It's necessary. And whatever that work is, it's part of our livelihood. It's part of how we contribute to society. How we earn a living, likely. Luther wrote about vocation. And he described how no matter what it is that you do, in doing that, you are serving the Lord. So the, the career that you have, the job that you work, 
But not only those things, it's also all of the vocations we might have. Our relationships are vocational in that regard. I have a vocation as a husband and as a father. So it's not just our work relationships or our career-oriented activities that Luther is describing. So any role we put effort toward, even volunteer things and things in our homes, should be done as serving the Lord. Because he's giving, given us these roles, these responsibilities, these tasks, these skills and opportunities, and we can serve him in those. So even as they're minding their business, they are effectively serving God by carrying out that role. But then Simon Peter says something that is somewhat striking at your Because Jesus tells him to put out for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Simon agreed to let down the nets. That, to me, is surprising. It's almost startling in this text. And he voiced some doubt. It's kind of implied. We toiled all night and took nothing, right? But would you have bigger doubts than he expresses if you were Simon? If you were the fisherman? And the guy that was on your boat that you really kind of just wanted to stay out of the way? I mean, what if I had told Bernie, my brother-in-law, that day? Hey, put that crab pot back down in the water. He would look at me like, you're from Ohio. You've never been on a crab boat. He he wouldn't have just looked at me. He would have said it. (laughs) You don't know what you're talking about. But for Simon Peter, he didn't let that stop him. How often do we let reason overtake our faith? Do we let the things that make sense to us stand in the way of what God might be suggesting or telling us or calling us toward or challenging us with How often do we analyze it based on what we expect and we let our expectations be shaped by what we've experienced before? I mean, that's what Simon Peter's doing. We worked all night and we fished in the places where we know the fish go. I mean, these are experienced fishermen. They know where the fishing holes are. They don't need the electronic thing that shows you the topography of the bottom of the lake. What's that called? Fish finder? little radar thing that pops up little, you know, graphical things that show you where the fish are. They don't have that. They don't need it. They know where the fish are in this lake. And they know where they go, and they know the best time. I learned this as a kid. Fishing in the afternoon is a waste of time. I learned that the hard way. I was down there by the water. Oh, this is so boring. I hate fishing. Why am I doing this? Okay, I'm going to go play or watch TV. And I learned later it's because I was fishing in the wrong time, in the wrong place. Morning, evening, when it's cool, when the water's still, when there's not a lot of breeze. And stop talking so loud by the pond. At your word. The Olympics just started. Just uh, Friday night was the opening ceremony ceremony. 
They've already shown some of the sports on TV. And it's exciting. We love to watch the Olympics at our house because some of the things that the people do are just, you know, blow your mind, right? And a lot of them do the things that other athletes are doing. The people on the snowboards. I've never snowboarded. I don't know how people with one thing. I, I couldn't skateboard either, so that's probably why. But when they, you know, go up the ramp and then they do the twisting, tumbling, like all this stuff in the air. And then they land and the board is under them and they don't crash. Somebody had to think that's possible, right? Most of us would maybe go like that. Keep the board under you. Don't flip or anything. Like maybe hop over and back down on the snow, and I'm good. That's a jump. (laughs) But they have to believe that things are possible in order for them to try. We have to believe that things are possible so that we will try. We can follow the word of Jesus. We can trust in what he says and believe that he has our best interest in mind all the time. That's what Peter was doing. That's what Simon Peter was doing when he said, at your word, I will let down the nets. At your word, I will take that step. For a long time, the Lord was calling me into ministry. A little voice in the back of the head. You can do this. I want you to do this. And for a long time, I had a lot of reasons why I didn't think that was a good idea. 20 years ago this month is when a friend of ours was getting married in Chicago, and so we decided that between Cincinnati and Chicago, we would go to St. Louis. It's not on the way. But we went to St. Louis where the seminary is and looked at the campus and talked to some people. And so it was 20 years ago this month that that first real step started. Could we do this? All those same reasons were still on my list. But it was possible. And to take that first step made things start to happen. For Simon Peter, it was to take that step of of letting down the nets, of getting them wet or dirty again, of believing what might be possible. And in that, he got to see the power of Jesus. Verse 6. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. In this series about revealing Jesus, we've been talking about seeing the identity, the power, the authority of Jesus in the things that he did. And connecting who he is by what we see him do. So many fish. And the catch of fish exceeded their expectations. They signaled to their partners, verse 7, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Simon Peter might have thought something was possible, but he didn't expect that. Had he expected so many fish that they would fill both boats, he wouldn't have waited to signal the other boat. Right? You prepare. If you know you're going to have so much for two boats, Well, then you whistle those guys over first (laughs) before you start trying to pull up the net by yourself. 
Even catching a fish or two was probably more than Simon expected. But Jesus does more than we ask or think. More fish. Unexpected results. Surprising ways that Jesus shows up and blows our minds with what he is doing and can do. The limit to that is usually in our efforts, our limits, our expectations, where we don't believe. And in not believing that the Lord is powerful and wants to do great things, we limit how much effort we put in or how much trust we have in whatever it is. Seeing the power of Jesus Simon Peter got to understand the glory and the grace that he has. See, standing in the presence of God brings us to our knees. Luke 5, verse 8, Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Have you thought that way, felt that way in the presence of God? It's why we confess our sin at the beginning or toward the beginning of our service each week. As we enter the presence of God and recognizing our sinfulness and His glory. In Isaiah chapter 6, the call on Isaiah's life, he says, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And I have seen God. Woe to me, I'm a dead man, is effectively what he's saying. I can't survive this presence of God moment, but in those kinds of moments, God gives grace. Isaiah 6, verse 7, responding to that, the seraphim takes that coal from the altar, and verse 7 says, he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. There's grace. Your sin is atoned for, not through through something that Isaiah did, but because God is gracious. And to Simon, do not be afraid, Simon. God's grace was directed toward Simon in that moment as he's falling at the knees of Jesus. Depart from me because I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve and I can't be in your presence. God's grace comes to you and to me. 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's his grace. That's his amazing grace that covers us, redeems us. Is there a part of your life where you need forgiveness? God's grace covers that. He does more than we ask or think. He gives more grace than we deserve. And he calls us into this discipling relationship with him. Where we can learn, where we can grow, and we can go and do the things he wants us to do. After this moment, Simon Peter was gone fishing. And James and John as well. One day, so that's Simon Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, right? When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. That's striking too. They left everything. And the way it reads, they left it right there next to the lake. 
their boat, their crab pots, their fish finder, all of it, to follow Jesus because they saw in him the power, the glory, and the grace of God. And they were gone fishing. Discipleship means complete surrender. We are called to surrender and follow Jesus. What holds us back? Sometimes it's our reason. Sometimes it's our reasons. <laughs> things we hold on to, things that are important to us, parts of our identity that we want to try to protect somehow. Parts of our past of which we are ashamed. Parts of our lives where we think God can't or wouldn't. Receive that grace of God through all of that, that the things that we're ashamed about, he's already forgotten. The things that we want to protect are things God might want to use. And we completely surrender to him because he calls his followers to be witnesses. The end of verse 10, it says, from now on, you will be catching men. heard it translated or there's another um, one of the gospel narratives talk about it as fishers of men you've probably heard that expression this is what simon peter gets to do from now on you'll be you'll be catching other disciples and understand the same techniques of casting the wide net and pulling in simon peter same disciple is there at Pentecost when all those people came and heard and understood and the net began to break because so many understood the glory and the grace of God. The disciples changed the world. So to reveal Jesus, let's share his grace from his power. Let's go fishing. Amen.